Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Post Traumatic Survival Podcast, a show that helps you rewire your brain to survive and thrive. Join your host, Ozzy Martinez Jr., a Marine, a combat disabled vet, husband, and father, as he shares his firsthand knowledge and experience of hitting rock bottom, almost ending it all, and then turning it around. Dive into the rewired minds of thriving survivors. This show is an in depth look at post traumatic survival. And now, Ozzy. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you so much for joining me. If you noticed, last week I did not have a podcast released. I will tell you, uh, my, I've been dealing with my service dog. He's sick. And uh, unfortunately, Duke, uh, I mean, it's been a real tough two weeks. He's lost 20 pounds in the last two weeks. He uh, has pancreatitis, they believe. Um, they've done x-rays and stuff, so they don't see any tumors or anything like that. The next step would be ultrasounds. But he hasn't been eating and then because of the pain. And then he picked up... Uh, parasite that has given him diarrhea so he's lost all his weight because of uh, the diarrhea so we're treating both things at the same time and it's tough because a lot of the medication involves food and he's not eating so i i I literally have him here at home with ivs uh they gave me they gave him a port in his paw where i could give him ivs directly here at home because he doesn't do well when he's away from me and he would even though he's sick and feels sick he would still try to hurt himself he'll eventually hurt himself trying to break out of the kennel at the vet's office um, trying to look for me. So the best bet we decided was to treat him here at home, and that's what we're doing. So unfortunately, I wasn't able to drop an episode last week, but here we are this week, and I am, I mean, super stoked that I had this guest on here because when I started this, like I said, I didn't want to start this just for veterans. I didn't want to start it just for police officers. I've, I've been able to have some civilians on here, you know, I've had, and, and, and ironically, they're all women. Um, you know, I had... I had uh, Laura. She's a breast cancer survivor. I had uh, Mandy Horvat. That is an amazing, amazing individual that lost her legs. Uh, she's a double amputee and a mountaineer now. And today I have Krista. And believe it or not, Krista, you're going to laugh, but I just forgot how to pronounce your last name, even though we've practiced it before we went. We, we I pressed record. So but I believe it's Krista Karras. Karras. Yes. I did it. All right. So Krista Karras, I'm not going to go too much. I'm not going to go too much into her intro um, myself because I do want her to share it. But this podcast is definitely, definitely going to kick the door down on proving the fact this isn't about military. At the age of 18, Krista met a man and he forced her into sex trafficking. And that right there would end most people's lives if you're even able to survive sex trafficking. Uh, I don't even, I can't comprehend that, but most people would just want to give up. And, you know, when I've just going through her her Instagram, I have yet to read her book, but just going through her Instagram, you can tell that this is not what this young lady did. She never gave up on life. As a matter of fact, she kept on going and gave life and brought more life. And that to me was just exactly what I'm looking for. This, she is a thriving survivor and, and, I, I wanted to bring her on, on the show and, and ask her how it is that, you know, obviously what happened and, but how it is that she's able to do what she's doing. So Krista, thank you so much for joining us today. 
Yeah, thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit, first and foremost, uh, you know, where are you from? Um, I am originally from Iowa, small town, uh, kind of up closer to Minnesota. But my hometown had about 1,300 people in it. My graduating class had 37 kids in it. So I come from a very small town. Um, but I right now I live outside of Phoenix, Arizona. Okay. And your incident, when, when did this all start? You know, you were 18 years old. Um, as you told me here, you, you met a, a, a guy at the bar. And, you know, what happened after that? I mean, I'm guessing you, yeah. you thought you fell in love. So I, I was 18. I went to this club, um, up in, up in Iowa. You don't have to have, a an ID like to get into the bar, but to drink, obviously you have to be 21. Um, I would go, I would frequent this bar because that's where all my friends went. Um, and I met this guy who was working on the wind turbines. And if you're not familiar with what the wind turbines are, they, uh, just generate, um, elect wind electricity okay, like a big um, yeah the big windmills and yeah okay yeah so he was actually from new mexico working in one of the the small towns on the wind turbines and um we got to talking and he was eight years older than me but i mean i was really drawn to him for you know, looking back now, being a 30 year old woman, I'm kind of like, ew, gross. Why, why would all these red flags, you know, as an adult, but as a kid, um, I mean, he really preyed on me. He, he was like, you're the most gorgeous thing I've ever seen. You're so sexy. You have the best body, you know, and right out of high school, I'm just sitting here like, oh, thanks. Oh my gosh. You know, um, and when I told my mom about him, you know, my mom worked at a men's prison and she said, Krista, why would you want to, what is wrong with this guy for coming after a, a young lady who's eight years younger than him? And I was like, maybe he just thinks I'm hot mom. Oh my God. You know? So I took offense to it. Right. Like, like I'm good enough to be with somebody older, you know? Um, and so at that point, as much as she tried to warn me, like, you don't want to mess with this person. Um, I just, I wanted to be grown. I wanted to show her and everybody else that I could make decisions. I could make my own decisions and I could be smart about it. Um, and then I ended up moving down to New Mexico. Uh, this was in August when I was 18. I turned 19 in September. And then I moved down to New Mexico with him in November. Um, you know, he was very manipulative and he would say, oh, I just really want to start a family with you, but I have my kid down in New Mexico. And I was like, well, I can go to college anywhere. You know, he, this, this guy loves me. He loves me so much because he says that he loves me. He shows me that he loves me. Um, so I moved down there with him. And in about a month, he brought up this idea of um, sleeping with other people to kind of supplement an income. Now, and, excuse me. He, yeah, because I mean, obviously, this and I'm, and 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 I'll, like I said when we first spoke yesterday, I'm going to ask you details and stuff like that because 
hopefully we want our listeners to learn from this. You know, we want our listeners yeah. to, that's the reason you, you, you wrote your book, you know? So like you said, he was grooming you. He was within this whole month. He was, was he ever shown any aggression, any physicalness towards you or just, it was just pure fluffing and making you happy and making you fall in love. You know, he would, he would really reel me in and just make me feel real good about myself. And he had this way of just flipping emotionally, like just manipulating, saying like, you know, I don't know if this is going to work. I don't know if this is going to work. Maybe you should just move back home to Iowa. And the way he said it made me feel like I wasn't good enough. And like I was doing something wrong and being naturally being a people pleaser. I was kind of like, no, tell me what I can do. Like everything was good yesterday. It was good. 15 minutes ago, like, what did I do? So he would, you know? he would put you in a spot where, where then when he'd give a suggestion, like, Hey, we need to supplement our income. He'd put you in a spot where you kind of like, all right. Yeah. You know, you're right. Cause now you want to make him even more happier. So what had happened with it was he had been laid off from working on the wind turbines. I had found a job. And when he said, um, I'm going to start doing construction for this guy who owns a restaurant. And so I was like, okay, cool. And this guy that owns a restaurant, obviously they had been talking about stuff behind the scenes when I wasn't there, because then he came to me with this idea that if I slept with this person, he would pay him and he would put him to work like full time. And at first I was, I, I didn't agree to it right away. I thought that that idea would just leave him i i was i was like yeah i mean maybe but i was like okay i'm just gonna like water that down and it'll it won't ha really happen but then he brought it up more frequently and so i i agreed to it and when we went to this gentleman's house i tried everything that i could to just kind of be super passive not talk, sit on the couch. We're watching football. Um, we're drinking a little bit and nothing was happening. So I said, okay, if I just sit here and chill, nothing's going to happen. And by the time it, it got really late, I told my boyfriend like, Hey, are you ready to go? And he said, we haven't even fucking started. And I was like, no way. No, no. You know? So, um, so it happened once and I thought it would be a one-time thing. Um, and I, you know, it went on for the course, over the course of two years. And it happened with like one person and then a few people and then several people. And I kind of got to the point where I would work double shifts, 16 hour shifts and I thought the more that I was not at home, he would not force me to do these things. And I've had people kind of come you, at me like. Because you still worked at your job. You were still doing your job. Yeah. Right. So I would work 6 a.m. till 11 p.m. And that's, that's one of the signs of a typical sign of an uh a victim of abuse is they just don't want to be home right. and they busy themselves. So I thought that the more I was gone, you know, at this point I didn't have any children. Um, I was just gone and I would come home 
and he would have somebody there for me. And I'm like, I literally, this is my fourth day in a row working 16 hour shifts, you know? Um, Thinking that you just go home and sleep because like, that's what you were hoping that that avoid it all. Yeah. And I felt so gross. I didn't tell any of my friends. I sure as shit was not going to tell my mom that this was going on. Um, my mom and dad have been together since they were 14, 15 years old. We went to church. Um, we, I grew, I had a, an older brother. I, I didn't have a bad life. You know, I, right. I had a really good life and my mom would be so disappointed if she found out that I was doing this. Um, and so I thought at some point it would just stop, but it didn't, it, it progressed throughout a couple of years. Um, and then I, I ended up getting pregnant back in 2009. So my oldest son was born in March of 2010. Um, I don't, obviously we don't know who his dad is for sure. Um, because of all this, um, situation that was going on. Yeah. I mean, listen, yeah. And I, so the really messed up thing was, um, as much as I was working, I wasn't there long enough to build up PTO. So I had to go back to work after, um, four days after giving birth. Um, and I, one of my coworkers would watch him at night. I would work night shift. She would work morning shift. So we were opposite and she was, she was watching the baby for me. Um, and you know, I mean, I'm sure you have kids like the, after a woman gives birth, they're not supposed to have sexual intercourse for six weeks. Right. And I mean, I you can probably imagine, like, just guess how long he had me wait till I was like, went, continued doing the same thing that he had me doing before. And he um, never, he never then went back to work in those two years. He didn't. And I would try to encourage him like. Uh, he, he said, Oh, the economy is so bad. I can't find anywhere. Um, but he was expecting to get a job that was going to pay him as well as, uh, he made on working on the wind turbines. And I said, if you have to work at McDonald's, just work at McDonald's, like just work somewhere. So I'm not the only one working. And he would say, I'm, I'm better than that. I can do this and this and this, I'm not going to go low enough to work at Walmart or McDonald's or anything like that. So he was too good to do anything like that. He, he was all about the easy money. Um, and so uh, when my son was two months old, we decided to go for a motorcycle ride. And um, it was on Route 66 we had seen like some fire trucks that, that were on their way to a call. We pulled over, they, they passed us. And then probably like 15 minutes later, um, when we were headed up the road more, um, only one of the fire trucks was there. The other ones were gone, but the one was pulled over on the shoulder. Um, no hazards, no sirens or lights or anything like that. So he went, to pass him and the fire truck pulled a U-turn and, and hit us. 
So, and I remember all of that. I remember everything up until the impact. And I remember waking up knowing that I hit this fire truck. Wow. And you were wearing, Um, you were wearing helmet. I was not. Wow. I was not. So, um, you know, and doctors say arguably if I would have been wearing a helmet, it could have decapitated me. They just don't know. Right. Um, so I mean, it definitely probably would have saved me some head trauma, but, um, yeah, I wasn't wearing a helmet, um, went to the hospital and they, I, they were like, is there anybody that we can call for you? And I said, my son is at home with a babysitter. Can you please make sure my son is okay? I just didn't want the state to take him. Correct. You know, um, he was my first, he was my first concern. And then after that, like, I didn't know that I was paralyzed. So I was like, can you call my boss? Tell my boss that I probably am not going to be into work tomorrow or something. Tell her I'm going to be late. I don't know. And the nurse was just, you know, I know she felt like it wasn't her place to tell me, but she's like, honey, you're in bad shape. And I could tell by like the smell of the hospital and the the sounds around me and, you know, everything that I, it probably was bad. I wasn't able to sit up. I wasn't able to hold my arms up. And as you can see, um, my fingers don't work. My hands don't open. So, um, I'm a, I'm a quadriplegic because I broke my neck. So quadriplegic means four limbs impaired, not four limbs paralyzed. Okay. Thank you for clarifying that because I was going to ask you, because I, I was confused on that. You know, I didn't understand that part when I read your, your profile. And then I seen you that you work out and stuff. And I'm like, but I thought that, you know, so I didn't even Google it. Cause I was like, I want to hear it from somebody that that's going to tell me the truth. And, and, and that, that, that lives with it. So I have a question for you. Yes. The, the impact then was you hit the, the fire truck and that broke your, your neck. Yes. And then you, how long was it that you woke up in the hospital? Like how, so, how long did this take? Cause I mean, obviously they take you to the hospital and stuff. And then is it a couple days? Uh, okay. It? So when, when I woke up after the impact, I didn't realize that I had died. They had to shock me, use the defibrillator, um, to revive me. I went to the hospital and I don't know if it was like a few hours cause I was so in right. and out of it. Okay. Um, but I remember being like in, I'm going to just call it the emergency room. I don't know what it was, but it seemed like the emergency room. Um, and, that's and I where like gone through my medical records so many times just to like put this, try to story put everything together. together. Yeah. 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 So, um, it, you know, the records have said that I got to the hospital and was like in respiratory failure and super distressed and I don't remember being distressed I remember just being like okay what the fuck what the fuck (laughs) like what happened what's going to happen what you know um and when they finally told me that I have a spinal cord injury they didn't say you're paralyzed they said you have a spinal cord injury and I was a lifeguard in high school and I was a, a nursing assistant at the time so I knew that a spinal cord injury meant possibly paralyzed. And so I was kind of like, Oh, I can't right now. 
And from then on, I don't remember anything up until like two weeks later. And I was only in a, I was in a coma for a few days, but I just don't remember anything for a couple weeks. And after that, this is okay. So they ask you, who would you like to call? Because I mean, is he there? Is that piece of shit there? Or I mean, he, he was there. Um, he kind of, he banged up an elbow and he, I mean, that's really all he did. He, he had to get like his elbow replaced and he had a finger partially amputated, but that was about so it. So he was there. That's why, I mean, you, cause I, you know, I'm sure you struggled. Do I call my mom? Do I call a family? Did you? Yeah. I mean, my family was up in Iowa and I was in New Mexico and my mom had been, she had just told me two weeks prior when they came down to see my son, since he was just born, she had just said, Krista, just come home. Like she had a feeling something was wrong. She hated him. Like, and rightfully so I never told her what was going on behind the scenes, but I would call her just to tell her like, Hey, can you send my, my straightening iron, my curling iron, because he threw it at the wall and it broke. Like, <laughs> like she, she knew that he was an asshole and that yeah, he was, she was mean, but she didn't know like the details. She was putting puzzle so, pieces together and she yeah, just really didn't that. know what the puzzle looked like. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, she worked at a prison, so she doesn't need very much. She can get a few of those right. pieces and be like, no, he's not good enough for my daughter. So she tried really hard to get me to come home. And I was like, Oh, I don't want to be a single mom. And I mean, we, we all know single parents, but he somehow just had me, um, had the, I had this idea in my head that I would be unwanted and I wouldn't be able to do anything. I wouldn't be able to go back to school. Like, I, I don't know how he did that, but I was like, no, if I go home, like that's the end of my life. (laughs) So you stayed. um, so I stayed. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't want to call my mom because uh, I knew that she'd be disappointed that I wasn't wearing a helmet. I knew that she would be disappointed that she had just told me to come home and now like this happened. Um, but the nurse was like, you know, sweetie, I have sons. And if this happened to one of my sons, I would want to know I really would. So I did not tell my mom, the nurse told my mom. So you were, I mean, so we're, I'm trying to put, you know, math together. You were 20 years old at the time when this happened. Yep. 20. So it's, yeah, it's tough. You know, like you're trying to be an adult and you know, like, I don't want to call my mom. I don't need to. I'm trying to handle my business. And she's like, no. So she called your mom. And yeah. Yeah. She called my mom and your mom, I'm guessing came and the family came, but you still chose to stay. So my, my mom and dad came down to see me, but the hospital, you know, I was an adult, so they would not, they didn't tell my mom and dad that I was on a ventilator. They didn't tell my mom and dad that I was in a coma. Um, they kept they things private. I, yeah. They didn't even tell them that I had a spinal cord injury. They just said that I was in an accident. Wow. So my mom and dad came to the hospital and the hospital wouldn't even tell them where I was. And my brother was with them. My brother is a police officer. And he was like, look, you guys, my mom and dad just drove 1300 miles. Can you please just tell them where my sister is? Um, So they got to see me and everything, you know, and it's not like they could just, okay, you're coming home right now. Like, no, I was, 
at, at the time I couldn't even pick my arms up at all. Like I was just talking, barely talking. Like I had oxygen on my nose. I had, um, my throat, like they were talking about putting a trach in my throat because I just couldn't breathe. And I was so doped up, you know, so it's not like I could just get up and go, but, um, yeah, I was in the hospital for a few weeks, had to go to rehab for a couple months. Once I got home, then, um, I started getting my ass handed to me, which seems kind of backwards. I don't really know why you would assault a quadriplegic, but. So he um, started beating you then. Yeah. So I came home in October and he was helping me get dressed and I didn't want to get dressed. I wanted to stay in bed because I didn't feel good. And he was trying to like force my clothes on me. And I, I, you know, I bit him in the shoulder cause I was like, leave me alone. I want to lay down. I don't feel good. Um, and he punched me in the face and I had like never been punched before. So I was like, Oh my God, you know, like this man just punched me. Um, and then he pulled me by my ankles off my bed onto the floor and he said, get your fucking self up. So I just laid on my floor bawling. I couldn't like reach my phone. The baby Carter was in his room crying. He was probably seven or eight months old. He was crying and I said, get the baby. Like, get the baby. And he came and he slammed the door. So I couldn't talk to him. And I just was like, you know, my parents were really good role models for me growing up. And like, I already knew that men weren't supposed to put their hands on women, but like this, it was, it just blew my mind. Um, and how long did that last for? So that was in October it lasted until um, April. I convinced him to move back up to Iowa so we could have some support for my um, from my family. And then I got my first job and I started to put this plan into motion that I was going to escape. Because um, you so started, by, I'm sorry, by that time, by April, did you start gaining mobility in your arms at least? You yes. were able to move him? Yep. Yep. I started going to outpatient therapy and it's just, you know, it was like a healing process. Um, I started with no arm movement to like a little bit of arm movement, but I couldn't pick it up, pick my arms up very much. Um, I couldn't like sit in my chair without flopping over to the side because I had no trunk control. That's another thing that goes with a, a neck injury is like all your muscles in your trunk are gone. Um, and when you mean, when you say that, yeah. you mean like the stability in your spine, right? That's what they mean by the trunk. control. Yes. Okay. Yep. All the muscles in your spine that kind of help you, like you don't realize it, but when you sit in a car that takes a lot of muscle. So since, um, I have such a high injury, see my backrest right yes, here. Yes, ma'am. Um, it's gotta be high because if it's low, I, I just can't, I can't, I'll fall backwards or I'll fall forward. Cause the lower part of your um, spine has just really lost the, the strength. Yep. Yep. So, um, yeah, I was getting better with therapy and everything. Um, we had moved back up to Iowa. I got a job. I started stashing money. 
I had a friend who was going to be my roommate. And then when I told him that I was going to leave, he pulled a gun on me. And I, I mean, these are things that you see in the movies, you know, like a, a gun, a handgun in my face. And I was like, I am not a threat to you. Why are, why are you doing this? You know, and at the point at right now, I'm, I'm thinking like, what the fuck is your problem? But at the time I realized the more I mouthed off to him and said like, dude, stop being an asshole. I got hit. So my response ended up being freeze out of the fight flighter freeze. Cause there was no fighting this man. He was huge, like super buff. Um, there was no fighting him. And I, I was just this little paralyzed girl. Um, so I realized that if I just froze, that would help me survive. Um, and eventually I got away when, you know, he left and I left, like I had to sneak away. There was no, I couldn't give him a courtesy of, Hey, we're breaking up now. Like, no, I had to leave. Cause I gave him those chances. And, um, cause it, okay. So then you, you finally, you were able to slip away from this guy mm-hmm. and he's never, I mean, has he ever faced any justice for this? Has he ever, so this... the, where it's complicated is he, he came to my office. I worked at an amusement park selling tickets. Um, he came to my office saying like, I'm so sorry. Cause this is after Let's you left. He found that he yeah, found you. I, yeah. Oh yeah. Cause it was a small town. I mean, he knew where my parents lived. He knew where I worked, everything. He didn't know where my new apartment was. I mean, he did eventually find out where it was, but at this, you know, at, at first he didn't, but he came to my place of employment and was like, I love you so much. Everything that we've been through, blah, blah, blah. And he always swore that it was an accident, that that, that firefighter was not looking, that he didn't mean to hit it. Um, and I was like, I can't do this anymore. I, I can't, I no, like, and I was starting to realize, even though I knew that when he had me sleep with other people, it was wrong. I always felt like, you know, I had a choice. So that, that was my fault. But then being away from him, I realized like, I didn't even want to do that. Like I didn't, and I begged him to not do it, but I, you know. Yeah. You started, you started thinking about the things you did in the past. You're saying like. Right. So he, he had coerced me into it. And I, the longer I was away from him, the more I realized everything that he did wasn't my fault, you know? Um, and so when I told him, no, we're not getting back together, he assaulted me at work. He broke my desk. He threw my purse at me. He broke my phone. Um, and he ended up getting arrested for that. Um, I got, a no contact order put on him. And I haven't seen him since then. I mean, he chased me all over. And once he assaulted me at work and I finally had proof, um, the police chief was like, do you want a restraining order? And I was kind of like, I don't know, dude. Like, I can't escape this guy. I can't escape Yeah, you're him. like, what is the paper going to do? Yeah, and my brother being a cop was already like, Krista, I can't do anything for you. Like, it's you're my sister. I can't just arrest him. And even still, you have to be the one that says enough is enough. And like, you we just, can't you just never wanted to, huh? Right. Well, I mean, like, so I was fear? afraid he, yeah. he had, 
he had embedded it into my head that if I left, they would take my child away from me because I'm in a wheelchair. Nobody would ever let me have a child in a wheelchair because I'm not capable of taking care of anybody. I'm not even capable of taking care of myself. So um, that was a lot of the reason why I stayed. Um, and I, I was just, my injury was so new. I was so dependent on other people that I, I was just like, I can't, I can't do anything, anything. Um, so yeah, once I talked to this officer, he was like, you just cause you're in a wheelchair doesn't mean that you have to stay with him. Like we, you have resources, we can help you. Do you want us to help you? And so finally I said, yeah, yeah. I want a restraining order. Um, they charged him and he ended up pleading down to a lesser charge. But while he was awaiting trial for that, he assaulted like two other girls. Wow. <laughs> he ended up going to prison for um, almost killing one of one girl that he that he started dating after me. So let me ask you but, something, because I was going to ask you that during that time, those two years that he had you working for him. Right. Were you the only one or did do you know if he had any more on the side? I mean, how because you were working so, 16 hour shifts. So I was the only one and what, what I came to discover was, um, there's a difference between sex trafficking and prostitution. Prostitution is when you do it willingly, like you're doing it for a job, I, right? A, a lady that yeah. will straight up say, I am a call girl. I'm doing this and, yep. and that's it. Sex trafficking. You're being yeah. forced to do this. Yep. So it's, it's either you're being forced or, um, through coercion. Um, and some people get kidnapped and they're drugged and they are always drunk. And that's how the, the person gets them to do it. But, um, your drug was fear. He just led you with fear. Right. So a lot, a lot of the more, I don't want to say uncommon, but not really talked about forms is this, the person, your partner, who just coerces you or gets you to do it out of fear. And people don't realize that that is still, that is still sex trafficking because you're not, you're not okay with it. It's, it's kind of like if you have sex with somebody and then you decide like, no, I'm not okay with this. Then like, you have to stop. That's, it's still rape. If you, once you, right. you know, um, and I mean, he clearly, he knew that you were young and he could manipulate you. Right. And I, as far as I know, he didn't have any other At that women time. working, for him, but I mean, he, he had like a lot of dark secrets that I found out after we weren't together. Um, like two years after I left one of his coworkers said like, Hey, just so you know, he, he told us that he crashed that motorcycle on purpose. Wow. And oh I was like, shut your mouth. What? And he said, yeah, I just thought you deserved to know. And I don't, I know that the guy is crazy. Maybe he didn't, but maybe he did. And the more I thought about it, I was like, I mean, I guess I had a life insurance policy. I don't know why he would do it unless he didn't want people to know that my son was a product of what he had been right. making me do. I, I don't know. I mean, either way, like he still should have yielded to that fire truck. 
but I agree with you. I, I ride motorcycles, so um, <sighs> so he finally, like you said, he finally gets locked up because he almost kills another young lady, mm-hmm. and and then what what happens with that? Then I mean, are you finally able to finally close this chapter in your in your book or? So let me ask you something. So he finally got locked up and you're finally able to close this chapter, you know, where you're able to start now moving on because this fear isn't over you anymore. Yeah, I mean, I always had this fear that he would come back at me, but that I just I I just realized that that's that's what an abuse victim goes through even if he was still in prison, I mean, he did like two years and then he got out, but, um, that's legit. If the only thing that made me feel confident that I was okay was if he was incarcerated or dead, you know, and once he got out of prison, I was like, Oh, you still had the restraining order though. Yes. Yes. So I made all my stuff on social media private. Um, I made, I mean, if he wants to find me bad enough, he can. I'm sure he, like, knows by now that I'm married, that I have more kids, but I haven't seen him or heard from him. But I went through, like, some real serious, like, trust issues and PTSD from it. And when I told my mom what he made me do, she said, Krista, I am so sorry that you've had this hanging over your head. And I was like, I didn't want to do it. I, I swear I didn't want to do it. Um, you know, but I still felt really bad. And after um, watching a lot of Dr. Phil and going to counseling and everything and reading a lot of articles, I was like, this isn't my fault. So this is not my fault. I didn't do anything. Like if anything, I kept giving him lots of chances for whatever reason. Um, I didn't do anything and I became okay with that, but I still have um, certain responses to like noise levels and aggression. Um, yeah. Certain triggers I, that, that just yes. will remind you of a certain time you don't want to be reminded of. I mean, I'm sure, yes. you know, I mean, for instance, Anybody could possibly grab your ankle or something and you might just, that might be a trigger, you know? So these are things that people don't understand, you know, just something like that can, can, can trigger you and make you go back to a a second, you know, where you thought that that was happening to you. You mentioned something that I was about to, I was going to ask you when you just kind of like shot it out here, but so yes, you, you said, you know, if he could, if he wanted to find you, I'm sure he could find that you've been married and have more kids. So that was what I started, you know, your introduction with that you had briefly told me your story, you know, and, and I don't ever on my podcast ever want to go into details, detail, details about somebody's trauma and their story. Cause first and foremost, I'm not a doctor. I can't, I don't want to take somebody through that route. Most of the time that's literally called prolonged exposure. I don't want to talk about that, you know, and hopefully right. and unfortunately lose you or something like that. So, you know, I definitely want to just always talk about the, the person's story, but we want to definitely talk about the aftermath. And that to me was what I was just like blown away with because 
you told me briefly in, in, you know, two little chats about what had happened with your story, but then I was more interested in finding out about your life now. And you never gave up. I mean, you, you went back to work, like you said, you found a job. And how was it that, you know, because you, you didn't mention you got off social media and you, you sheltered yourself. And I understand that because I did that. I, when I got so stressed with society, I got so mad and at everybody and I locked myself up for two and a half years in an apartment. I gave up my driver's license and I, I don't live in a small town where maybe you can do that. I live in Miami, Florida, you know, where it's huge here. And I started doing public transportation to go to my doctor's office. That's the only time I would ever leave my house or go across the street to the supermarket and get food. I tried not to talk to people because I just didn't want to make relationships. I didn't want to do anything like that. How was it that you finally were able to open up? So I, I mean, I am a social person by nature. So when I left him, I was working two jobs, a summer job selling tickets at an amusement park and then a part-time all year round job working at Walmart. And like, I went from being a medical assistant to being a people greeter at Walmart, but like, I didn't really have many choices because I couldn't be a medical assistant anymore, you know, but I wanted that social interaction. Um, but I was not like telling anybody about my past. Like I had no problem talking about my accident, but I but didn't want to talk. What about led to the accident. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, who, where's your son's dad? I don't know. Like, like I just, we're not talking about it, you know? So, um, I, I was fine socially, but, um, as far as dating, I had always felt like I wasn't good enough. So whenever somebody would be interested in me, I'd be like, dude, I got a kid. I'm in a wheelchair. My fingers don't work. Like, and I would just talk about everything bad and they'd be like, you would try to scare I mean, them away from the beginning. Like just push yeah, them away. Yeah. Yeah. And they'd be like, well, you have your own house. I mean, you seem to kind of have your shit together. And so I dated a couple guys, um, you know, that didn't end up working out, but, uh, I met my husband, he was stationed over in Japan. He was in the army. Um, and I did the same thing. Like, Hey, just FYI, I have a kid and like, I can't walk. <laughs> I can't put my own pants on. Like I have to hire someone to put my own pants on, you know? And so he was kind of like, no, I really, he would tell me, I saw this picture on your Facebook and I saw this. And then we would talk about like just stuff that wasn't disability related and wasn't domestic violence related. And so he actually cared about me genuinely. And I mean, I don't know. I don't even, I don't really know how I got him. Like, to be honest with you, I really don't know, but it didn't, didn't take too long for me to realize that he is not the same person as the man who ran me into the side of a fire truck, you know? Um, and he did a very good job of reassuring me and telling me like, I'm going to take care of you. I don't want you to worry about this happening ever again. Um, you know, and that I, I, the only thing I really had triggers with was like people touching my face 
or touching my neck, um, things like that. But other than that, like I knew how to compartmentalize it and not apply that relationship towards this relationship. But there, yeah, there were certain triggers. Um, if he ever, if he and I ever got into an argument, um, if he raised his voice to a certain level, I would just like shut off and go to my bathroom. (laughs) Like, um, but he, he figured that out real quick. And then I, you know, we had a couple more kids. Uh, my kids are now ages 10, four and two. My daughter's the youngest. So two boys, one girl. That's it. I mean, <laughs> talk. Uh, like, I, you know, I decided. I decided like that. I didn't want to work at Walmart anymore mm-hmm. because my son was gonna. My son was gonna have to do like a career day at school, and he was gonna have to be like my mom's people greeter at Walmart, and like not to discredit other people who work in retail, but I knew that like that just wasn't my calling. So I ended up getting my uh, associates and bachelors in human services. And then I got my master's in applied behavior analysis. And you did all of this, all of this while in the chair. Yeah. Yeah. I got, I got my master's when I was, I mean, I was doing final. This is what I I mean. You just, you just kind of (laughs) like you, you went and ended the interview at 33 minutes and I'm like, wait a second. There's so much more. I mean, is your book only two pages? I'm just, you know, I'm giving you a hard time now, Krista. I'm just saying. So, (laughs) so because you just made it seem like, yeah, I met a guy, we had two more kids and that's it. I mean, look, let's be real here. You, you threw, you threw speed bumps, walls, like not even speed bumps. You were throwing walls in front of him. Like, Hey, I got this. Hey, I got that. Hey, I got this. And none of it, none of it stopped. Um, you know, like none of it stopped him from proceeding with it, which is, which is great. Cause he showed, he fell in love with you. Like he showed, he loved you. Like he cared about you. Like you said, you, you weren't talking about things that you didn't want to talk about. He had, you you were enjoying talking about life, you know, and, and doing things. So you were, he were eventually able to then you yourself tear those walls down that you were throwing in front of him, you know? Yep. And you finally started opening up with him and you, you had a family. Like you said, you, you finally were able to grow a family and you know, most people, like I said, would just wouldn't, wouldn't have even taken that step. If they've been in your position, they've, had just been victims of sex trafficking and then now victim of an accident that later on in life, you know, some people have told you that was possibly intentional, you know, and they would just be like, well, like you said, I'm wheelchair ridden. And I, and like, like you said, no offense to anybody because look, I have, I have a brother of mine, a Marine Corps brother of mine. He's always joking. He's a Walmart greeter. You know, he's, he doesn't, it doesn't matter. You know, it's like, it's no offense. It's just the reality is you had more passion in your life. You know, and that's what I want. I want other people, hopefully in your position to understand that just because of what happened to you, especially this massive accident that has now left you, like you said, um, you know, in a wheelchair, that doesn't mean that you got to stop your goals, stop what you want to do in your life. And the thing that kind of gave, gave me a little more drive with that was when I talked to my manager at Walmart about working a different department or doing something that you showed interest in moving up yeah 
yeah, I didn't want to just sit at the door, even though I was like a happy person to say hi to people. I didn't want to sit there. And 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 and, I mean, this is something great to bring up because I see that a lot. You know, I see I see that certain companies, you know, and and it's all great to them that they're hiring disabled people, you know. Um, But I, I see that, for instance, at the Publix or the supermarket I go to. At the supermarket I go to, there's a, a, a gentleman there that has been working as a bagger forever. You know, I, I I love the fact that you made that effort to show them, hey, you know, I want to do more. And not only that, I want to do more. I can do more, you know, like. Yeah. So so then yeah, and I, I had sold I had sold some makeup to a woman uh, who asked me, she was like, hey, I like your makeup. Like, what do you recommend for getting my wrinkles off? And this is as your greeting. Yeah. And so I went over to the cosmetics and was showing her what she could use. And so I told my manager, like, can I work in cosmetics or can I do something else? And he said, ah, you're one of our best people greeters. And I was like, well, that's cool, but I don't want to do it. I don't want to do this. And so that's what gave me the drive to go back to college. Cause I, I was like, you don't get to tell me, (laughs) you don't get to tell me what I can't do. Yeah. So (laughs) it wasn't about pay or being like salaried or anything like that, but I wanted to, um, I was not getting paid to make a difference in people's lives at Walmart. I mean, like it might've been a bonus. You weren't getting satisfaction out of it. Right. Right. So I ended up getting my master's in psychology and I was working with kids with behaviors. My goal was to work with domestic violence victims. And I just found that that to be a job. I like to talk to victims and I like to do speeches and stuff, but going to work every day to deal with that was going to kind of hinder my own healing. So I had been working in education for a few years and I was like, I should be a teacher. I'm really good at this because I was a behavior specialist. So I ended up getting a second master's Hmm. in special education. And now I'm a special education teacher and I love it because the kids are just like, miss you're in a wheelchair like what you know and I'll, I'll tell them about my story just about my accident and stuff and then they know well just because i'm autistic doesn't mean i can't get a job or awesome. just because i have yeah just because i'm in a wheelchair doesn't mean that i can't get it, have a life you know or kids or something so i thoroughly enjoy being a special education teacher for that reason because i can be that poster child where they're like she did it yeah i want to do it that is amazing. Yeah. And, 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 and I tell that to people all the time. Cause like I'll have, especially guys uh, or, or veterans that, you know, that, like I said, people assume that I started this for vets and stuff and they know me from my organization and they know me from being open. I, in 2014 is finally when I said, I like, I, I kicked the door down and I said, Hey guys, I have PTSD. I have no problem talking about it. I have, and I would go on little lives in my Facebook, my personal Facebook, and I would cry and I would say today's an anniversary and I'm drinking and this and that. And I started admitting that I had the problem when I started hearing from other guys, Hey man, I, I'm the same way. I feel the same way that it kind of then it kind of showed me that, all right, fine. So if, if I could show these guys that I'm the same as them, then let me try to do something better. And I started an organization and then it was funny cause I started the organization and then all of a sudden people are like, wow, you're cured. <laughs> I'm like, no, uh, I'm not cured. <laughs> They're like, well, what do you mean? You're the founder and president of operation wet vet. And I'm like, and your point is, and they're like, <laughs> they're like, yeah, but you know, you went from 
locked locked yourself up for two and a half years and not talking to people and now you're running an organization clearly you got to talk to people i was like do you want to know the truth i'm like i run my organization with my cell phone i'm like i never leave my house i try not to leave my house i still just talk to people on the phone and email and stuff like that you know it's you still got to struggle with with the stress and or at least my situation sometimes you know the 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 zero to a hundred where i go where you you mentioned something you know you have the fight flight or freeze and I have just fight. Uh, I always tell people that I'm at 99. I'm not zero. I don't go zero from 100. I'm, I'm always running at 99. And then I'm just waiting for that one little thing to the, the pebble just to roll by me so I can be like, boom, let's go to 100. And it, it sucks because you clearly make better decisions when you think about them and stuff like that. But when you're at that 99 that you go to 100, then your decisions are just immediate. Your, your decisions are just to end whatever that is that's going on the fastest way. That's what I, that's, that's what I tell people. And then that's what happens in combat. You, you get ambushed or something. Like, and that's what I like to relate to life because, you know, I, at the Overcome Army where I coach at, we talk about that, getting on the X, which the X is that ambush site. And when you get life ambush in my situation, I tend to want to, destroy that ambush and sometimes it's you waste more energy doing that than you know um than than actually fixing the problem so when when people would tell me like wow you're cured this and that i'm like no i'm not cured and then just 16 weeks ago i started the podcast and now i have even more people um you know talking to me and saying wow well how are you doing this this and that and you know it's I love the fact that you said that the students look at you like that because I tell them all these people that have PTSD or trauma and they're like, how do you share your story? This and that. I tell them I'm trying. All I say is I'm not doing it. I'm trying because if you tell them you you did it, like it's almost like that's it. Uh, you're done. I'm not done. I mean, I will get people that look at me and they're like, dang, I think I have a hard life. And then I look at you and it's like, I don't have a hard life. I have a good life. Like the chair isn't even the problem. It's like all up mm-hmm. here. It's all in your no, head. So, yeah, exactly. And that's so, why that's why I wanted to bring you on here and talk because clearly what you got up here is super strong. Because look what you just said. The chair is not the problem. Everybody, everybody, not everybody, because once again, I'm not in that position, but I could speak for a victim like of a PTSD and stuff like that. We victimize ourselves and we put ourselves sometimes on that X. Like, no, I can't do things because I'm a hundred percent disabled for PTSD and I have a mild traumatic brain injury and I'll forget to it. It's like, no, you're giving yourself excuses, you know, like you can do more and the, the wheelchair is not the problem or my PTSD is not the problem. It's how I'm handling it. You know, how I'm moving forward with it. And that's why, that's a lot of the reason why I really wanted to write my first book. That and what's the title my, of it? It's called Beautiful Survivor Overcoming the Statistics. Okay. Um, and it's basically just talking about my childhood and how I grew up, you know, not not somebody in poverty, not somebody with absent parents. I had a good childhood. Right. Cause most and of the I time still- they'll tell you, they'll tell you, Oh no, it's a, it's, it's somebody that came from a broken home and you know, this and that, and no, this could happen to anyone. Yep. So it just talks about how most it's mostly the domestic violence side of it. And then the paralysis and how I got away. Um, and when people kind of pity me for my chair, I'm just like, Dude, the worst part of this injury wasn't even like the injury itself. It was like having to deal with the abuse and 
being like shot down. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. Nobody wants you. Nobody's going to want you. You suck. Like you can't be a good mom. You can only work at Walmart. You know, that was, that was the worst part of the injury. Not because it's it's not the chairs. It's, it's, it's what they're trying to plant inside your head to tell you, yes, you can't do this. You can't. And then you like, we start believing it, like you said. And, and then eventually, you know, you look, look what you said. It took somebody once again, telling you in a way you can't do this. You're our best greeter, you know? And that was finally the last straw for you. You were like, no, I'm going to not just, I'm going to do this, you know, I'm going to move forward. So, because people are going to ask, I mean, obviously I know that you say the wheelchair is not a problem. It's not a problem, but it is an obstacle. Okay. So it, it does make life, it does not make life easier for you. So how, how, how was it that you were finally able to, to just say, all right, I want to go to school. I started going to school. And how long did that school, whole school process take you? So I started in 2013 and I just finished with my second master's like in May. So yeah, so it's God, that's like four college degrees. And I'm on my first one right now. I just started at 38. (laughs) I mean, I just like did one and then they were like vocational rehab was like, you know, you could like do more if you got a bachelor's, you do more if you got a master's. Um, and then I started realizing that I was really, really good at what I was doing. So it was a learning process. I thought I knew what I wanted to do. And then I realized, well, I'm, but I'm really good at this and I really enjoy doing this. Um, I mean, yeah, it, it is definitely an obstacle. I've had lots of employers that like, I had an employer call me a liability once when I went to an interview and that type of thing really messes with you. You know, you go, you get real sad, or at least I, I got real sad, like, God, I suck. But then after that, I was like, fuck you. Like, I'm awesome. (laughs) Like, I'm not going to work for you. I'll work for somebody else and I'm going to be awesome for somebody else. So, um, I mean, it's all about like how you can pep talk yourself up and who your support system is. You know, my mom was like, Christy, I don't want to work for someone like that anyway. Screw that person. I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause I always say that it's, it, it is, it is very important to have the right support system. And clearly when you found yeah. your, you, when you found your husband, I believe that, I mean, that was the right support system. Cause obviously you guys are still together. Um, you know, he, he finished yeah. his time in the military. He's a veteran now. He's yeah. I mean, we've, I, I don't want people to think that we have this awesome, like platinum marriage. Like we have our issues just Correct. like anybody else. He's a police officer and he works night shift. So we have three kids. We have, he works night shift. So he's always tired. He's always gone. And I mean, my kids are the age where they just like, they're assholes just to be assholes, you know, for I, like have, no reason. I have a four-year-old and an eight-year-old. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> yeah, we just do it for no reason. So, I mean, like we will butt heads and everything just like every other normal couple. Um, but I feel like he definitely is the person that I was meant to be with. So that's awesome. Um, and I know a lot of people don't get to say that. So, and let me ask you, so what are your, what are your further goals? Cause I mean, you just finished your second master's degree and you're a teacher now for special ed, right? 
you've already wrote your first book. So that means you said first. So that means that. Right. I just wrote, I published my second book like a month ago. So I, I mean, that was like my life goal. My life goal was to publish a book. You've done two. Yeah. And what's the name of the second uh, book? uh, Turning Adversity into Glitter. Ooh. And where can we get these books? Can we get them through your, through you, Amazon? They're on Amazon. Yep. On Kindle and paperback format. Um, And that one just focuses on, you know, the talks about my injury and how I had to overcome all these obstacles to get uh, the success of what I, what I have. Um, talks about my struggles with PTSD. I went through some PTSD when I was learning how to drive as a quadriplegic. Cause you know, like you said, I have the complex PTSD where I have the freeze when I hear yelling or, um, when I encounter aggression, but I also have the flight response when I see and hear lights and sirens. So fire truck, I mean, right fire trucks obviously and I just I just recently discovered that it's more so with um like the neon yellow fire trucks mm, or fire trucks which is interesting because that's the picture out. you showed me that that's the truck you guys yeah hit. yep so and I I so badly want to be like no dude that was 10 years ago you're fine it, it, but it's it. not that easy it's not nope but you can't so I am at a point where I'm like okay accept it embrace it and figure out how to deal with it um so that's like that's probably all i don't know how long that's gonna be like an always ongoing process that's gonna process, be an always but, thing i feel i mean we yeah. just we gotta we gotta be able to expose ourselves more and more and more to it which is something that i've always said that i feel veterans have a problem with that's probably a reason why it's so hard for us to heal is because for instance they'll always tell a victim try to go back to the scene of the accident or try right try to try to go and and somewhat relive it and stuff like that but for us we do somewhat relive it in our head a lot but we're never really i always feel that are we ever going to get closure because can i ever go to iraq again and and see the places that have triggered my life and stuff like that smell those sounds smell the smells again hear the sounds and visualize the people um and i don't know if i'll ever be able to pass that but you see, you have, because I mean, one of the pictures that you've posted, I think it was a powerful picture, was you like driving by the scene of where that happened. Yep. So I went to visit the scene last year. It would be nine years after my injury. And that's and the first time? I actually time? met, yep, first time. And I was looking at the gravel. The gravel was red. That I was looking at some of the stones there that were there last time and some of the trees that were there, but were bigger now. And I was like, damn, I died there. (laughs) Like, but I wasn't, I wasn't angry. I was more angry that this man single-handedly like just tried to ruin my life. And then I went and had coffee with the firefighter that hit me. So I got to meet this firefighter and he was crying and I was crying and I was, he was like, I'm so sorry that this happened to you. And I was like, please don't apologize. Please don't like, you saved my life. If, if you wouldn't have reacted the way that you did, I probably would have died, you know, and it wasn't even your fault. Like it's not your fault. Cause that firefighter went through a bunch of PTSD yeah. because he paralyzed a young mother. So, you know, it was just like a really sucky situation. And it just made me angry because of this one man, like 
it's you know it's uh it's a you say it's a sucky situation but that situation eventually led to your freedom you know um yeah yeah hey i was talking to jason you know our mutual friend uh uh-huh. in his in his podcast and i remember telling him that it's amazing the way that like god works because like in his case i feel that the way i explained it or the because he's like oh everything everything was like in my favor and i'm like how do you say that you just got rear-ended really you just got rear-ended right in front of the fire but that right so, like, so 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 i told him yeah. and, and then he was in, in the hospital within eight minutes or nine minutes so it's like i tell him it's like man in your case dude i feel that what happened in your case i think god turned around for a second and the devil came to play that was the accident and then when god turned around again he was like oh shit i fucked up let me open everything up for him you know and in your case yeah. i feel like in your case i feel like the devil clearly was just trying to ruin your life like you said and all of a sudden really tried to ruin it and god was like nah you know it, this isn't gonna happen i i had so many chances to leave this man and i don't use his name my mom no, considers no. his name a cuss word like we don't say his name but i tried to leave him so many times i had so many opportunities and i feel like God was just kind of like, you know what, if you're not going to leave willingly, this is what I'm going to do. Like, I'm not going to kill you, but like, this needs to happen because we need to get you out of this situation. And then I am now able to use my experiences to help other people. And and, and let me tell you, it's, I, I've had, and it's not even cold in my house. Like, I swear I've had like this, these goosebumps talking to you this whole time because it's, it, it moves me and, and it, I'm not, I can't relate to you in that aspect of what happened to me. I could relate to you in the pain of the stress that you felt maybe afterwards where you didn't want to talk to anybody. You felt that, you know, you weren't good enough. Like you said, you, you kept on giving these excuses. And I remember doing that before um, my wife messaged me um, when, we, when we met. And it was funny because I dated my wife when we were younger, 18. I went off to the military afterwards. We, you know, we broke up. I went off to the military afterwards. And after we broke up, we never saw each other again. Um, I went off to the military, experienced my life in the military, got out. And then I remember when, before me and her like got really serious, I had dated and dated and dated before her and it was doing the same thing. How awkward of a date or a conversation where you're trying to talk to somebody and you're like, oh, by the way, you're already starting. I'm 100% disabled for PTSD. I have like, I have somewhat, sometimes uh, I'll, I'll have nightmares and uh, so I'll be real angry. Like, why would I, you know, why would I do that? And eventually it, it got to the point where I felt comfortable with, with my wife, where we weren't talking about that. She was like, yeah, don't worry. We're just, eating lunch like she was it wasn't she almost wasn't even worried about those walls i was throwing up because at the end of the day she was just trying to connect with me you know yeah we had that connection from before but she was just trying to connect with me and then finally you know it lasted and 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 it lasted and you know unfortunately for me it, it turned because i i kept on declining in my health she got me me and her dated started dating right at the time where they told me you're 100 percent disabled and then I started being told by certain jobs I wanted that I'm now I'm a liability. I couldn't be a cop. I couldn't be a firefighter because now I'm a liability because I might have a trigger or I might have an episode. That's what I was told. You might have an episode in the middle of a call. 
And I'm like, what are you talking about? They're like, oh, you know, I even was told this one time. You, We don't want you to, like, pull up, pull over an Arab person and and, and draw your weapon for no reason. And I'm like, come on, man. Are you kidding me? Like, I've been, what? I wasn't, I wasn't told that directly by the people hiring me, but, but like, other officers that were, you know, are, oh are, are there. God. And I'm like, come on, man. Like, and then. It got to the point where, at that point, where I was just being told at 28, like, I just felt I'm broken goods, you know, and I can't work. I can't do anything. That's when then she asked me to leave after, you know, we had gotten married, had a kid, and he was just a few months old. She asked me to leave, you know, and I didn't get that, that like, I guess, tap on the shoulder from God. I wanted to die for those three years that then I experienced that whole leave me alone. I, I, I'm no good for anybody and stuff like that. And then what, what, what helped me was hearing somebody else's, somebody else that I served with tell me, Hey man, you're not alone. I, 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 I feel what you feel. And that's why I think it's so important to have you, you know, on the podcast and, and tell your story because in, in a lot of situations, my situation was my pride, my manly Marine Corps pride. You don't ever want to say you have, you know, something that's going to make you look lesser of a man or something like, that. like for instance the fact that i cry a lot you know it, it's normal it, i have i don't know i don't know i don't know how to explain it i guess i didn't cry enough when my friends died or something like that that now i cry for everything you know and um it's things like that though that if i tell somebody else then they understand they're not alone and people need to hear it from right. you you know that 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 you that it was normal when you were going through what you were going through that you felt that you were worthless, that you were just trying to make him happy and stuff like that. But at the end of it, that it's not your fault. People need to hear that, you know, because. And I, for the longest time, I was kind of like, I am not going to talk about this PTSD. I already knew that I had it because that's a lot for somebody to go through when they're 18, 19, 20 years old. I already knew that I had it, but I didn't really want to share it or talk about it because People already see this wheelchair. I don't need to look like a crazy person or an emotional person. But the more that people started to see like, dang, you can do everything, you know, like, look at, look at you with all your master's degrees. I was like, you know, it's okay to not be okay. Sometimes like yeah. it, that's just the way that it is. So I just started being a little more open about it because I really think that people need to stop repressing yes. the things that are bottled up in there. Yes. You know, it's not healthy. Yep. I, I interviewed, like the- I interviewed a, a retired Navy SEAL. His name is uh, Ray Cash Care. I believe it was right before Jason <laughs> Checkler's interview. And he had always been telling me, no, man, I don't need to go on your podcast. I don't have PTSD, this and that. And it was, you know, he finally admitted it like, Hey, you know what? I was wrong. I do have PTSD. It's from, being abused as a child, not even, you know, as, as a Navy SEAL, it's being abused as a child. And he finally realized what, how important it is to talk about it. But one thing I mentioned to him in that podcast, which I think proves my point once again, now with you is, and Jason Checkler is that I said that it blows my mind and we're a small percentage, the ones that do it, but it blows my mind how much, People, certain people that have really been deep down in that pit of trauma or have really hit rock bottom, how much you're doing with their life. Um, yeah, absolutely. 
Jason Checkler didn't stop. He be continued. I mean, I think he's only within within two years. He was back on the force, back on the work, back on the job, and he's you know an author as well. He's a motivational speaker. He has a podcast. He, he he's a public speaker. Uh, Ray Cash Care, same thing. He's a motivational coach, a pri- you know like a private one on one life coach, a motivational speaker. Um, you have a list of individuals, but you have myself that I, I don't consider myself a huge thing, but I started an organization on a, a, now a podcast. And then like we have individuals like yourself that you've written two books, you win and got two masters. So I tell people that this trauma that this, we, we went through, we need to find a way to do what we're doing and turn that because turn that into something that's going to propel us. You know, like use it to, 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 to continue to tell people if so many people just look at me and, and you get that look that you don't even got to say a word. People will look at you and you're like, oh, they're looking at me with pity. Like they feel bad for me and they have no yep. fucking clue that I'm going to now prove them wrong within the next five minutes or something like that, you know? And, yep. and w- I, I just wish that there was something we could do to individuals with trauma that we could finally push them over that ledge, but you can't, you, you got to jump off, off that ledge by yourself. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it'll either consume you or it won't. It's however you, yeah, you, you it. have to take that reaction and say, no, I'm not going to let this do this to me anymore. Now I'm going to control it. And, and I'll tell you, there's a book, uh, by, uh, by, by a Navy SEAL named Jimmy Hatch and it's called touching the dragon. And that's his analogy of it. You, that PTSD and that stress is that dragon and you got to mm-hmm. touch it eventually, you know, in, in my case, yeah. I, I tell everybody that since I know it's never going to go away, I don't touch it. It's he's my service dragon. I, I ride the dragon <laughs> and then that dragon is what fuels me to oh, come and like do it. a podcast, come and come and take a fishing trip or try to do something better that I'm doing, you know, and, and you're doing the same way without, you know, with, without have knowing that like you're doing the same thing. You're using that to channel you to, 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 to better yourself. And I'm so, I'm so stoked that, that, you know, you were able to come on and, and share that with us because to me, it's, it's, it's amazing that, that you were finally able to do it. And, and I mean, just real quick before, you know, we, we, we kind of finished the podcast or, I mean, we don't even got to finish. Cause like I said, there was no time limit, but, but what is it that pushed you? What, what finally made you, was it, was it that Walmart job? You know, was it that, that, that point where you said, I want to have a little bit more and they told you, yeah, but we think you're better off here. Like what finally made you get to the point where you're at right now that you've written, you've written two books and you have two masters and it's, it, it, that doesn't sound like it's easy. It's not. So what is so, it that got you there? The thing, the thing that really pushed me while, like after my injury was my son. Okay. If I didn't have my son, I probably would have committed suicide. I was so depressed, but I had to keep going because yep. I had a child. I told everybody um, the same thing. That's what saved me from not killing myself living in that apartment that I would get my sons on the weekend. And I really was scared that I would die, kill myself on a Tuesday and they'd find me on a Saturday and I didn't want to be found like that. Yeah. Like, and I, I always said like, my son needs his mom. He needs his mom. I, I didn't think of myself as a future mom to two more or a future wife. Right. Cause this was, this family. was still before you met your husband. So that's when you got that push. Yep. Not, not thinking of my future students. I just knew that I had to take care of my son and be a good mom. So yeah, I survived the injury. Um, 
for him. And then when I got to working, that's when that's you started thriving. <laughs> yeah. Cause I don't, I want to set my own standards. I don't want other people to set them for me, you know, and I'm, that's just my mentality. I know some people are very comfortable with simple things and like their way of living, but I, I just have, to, I have that go-getter mindset and I have to, I just, you don't get to tell me what I can't do. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. So that's what did it. And I, I just didn't want my kids to be ashamed of, you know, well, my mom's in a chair, you know, I wanted them to be like, my mom's a badass. You, yeah. You you wanted them when they talk about you to not even mention the chair. Right. And I, you know, my kids go to school, a kindergartner and fourth grader, and they always have friends that ask about me and they're just like, yeah, my mom got hit by a fire truck. <laughs> like, no big deal. They say it all the time. But all their friends are like, oh, my God. And I'm, as far as I feel, I just need a good quality of life. I don't want to sit at home. I don't want to be on disability. I don't want to, I want to look forward to my day. You, you want to live. I mean? Yes, yes. Because there's and a difference between living and just being alive. Exactly. <laughs> that's why I tell so people I, that's the point of this podcast. There's a difference between surviving and then thriving. And right. I tell everybody. And I know a lot, of, a lot of people might be like, well, work doesn't define your life. But like, I just find so much enjoyment out of my career. I mean, the person next to me might find enjoyment out of something else. But like the purpose of you just, you just have to find what, what drives you and what makes you happy because like you have a long time on, on the earth, you know, like, so you need to make it good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Krista, thank you so much, so much for joining us today. I'm glad that we finally, you know, pushed it. Cause I knew yeah. you were nervous. You were like, I've never done a podcast, this and that. Well, I'll tell you what you did great. I think you did great for the podcast. I think, uh, get ready. Cause you're probably going to do more podcasts after this. Um, <laughs> But I, I really appreciate you coming on here, sharing your, I mean, uh, your intimate story, because that is something that a lot of people don't want to share, you know, the experience you went through. I mean, and I'm, you know, it, I could have brought you on here solely just to speak about the fact that you're in a chair, you know, um, but that's not, I, I don't even think that's powerful enough compared to your other story that you were able to survive two big traumas, you know, and. And my, my brother, Jason Redman says that in life, you in average, you only go through four or five life ambushes, you know, that, that really affect you in life. And I mean, you went through two within two years. So that, that is, you know, an amazing story and, and testament for, for somebody to come and, and say that, yes, I went through that, something that should have ended my life twice. And, you know, I actually, and then the third time after that, you know, like you said, I, could have just killed myself and so the simple fact that you told me you know that you could have killed yourself but your son is the one that kept you there the fact is that we're thinking about that you get what i'm saying like it still goes through it still went through your head so you know you were able to overcome that as well and 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 push through and look at you now like i said you're I mean, and you're not done. I, I could tell. I could hear it in your voice. You're not done. Like you're like, hey, I just released my second book, and I, I feel like there's so much more in you because, like you said, you're never gonna let anybody tell you that this is the life you're supposed to live. You're gonna be like, no, this I'm supposed to live any life I want. So, um, it's it's amazing. It's amazing that that you know 
just your story. I'm supposed to start coaching as soon as like this COVID stuff is all gone. Here we so, go. Again, my next, my next step. Yep. So, so in that case, then go ahead and if I'll put all the links in the in your summary, so everybody that's listening. But where can we find you on social media? Do you want to give that out or no? Uh, I am on. I am on Instagram, roll okay. and sparkle, roll underscore and sparkle. All okay, right. My book. Yep. <laughs> and my books are on Amazon. Yep. Yep. Give us the, give us the two titles again, please, because I want to go buy them right now as soon as we get off. <laughs> so the first one is beautiful survivor overcoming the statistics. And the second one is turning adversity into glitter. Awesome. Thank you so much, Krista. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I, I look forward to hopefully having you back on the show one day and uh, we're, we'll, like I said, this is new for me. So I want to do things for certain months as the show progresses and as the show goes on. And, you know, I would love to have you on with uh, any other guests that would like to talk about, you know, surviving sex trafficking, because right. I know that that is something huge that's going on right now in the, in the U S it's yeah, it's all over. I'm trying to partner with, it's so hard to like grow yourself on social media, but there's a couple girls that, that I've reached out to that I would be so interested in public speaking with. One of them got her lower lip bitten off by her boyfriend and her face has, she's gone through so many plastic surgeries. So I, I'm trying to kind of like grow that it's really difficult and slow going, but we'll get there. Yeah. And remember what I told yeah. you that the, uh, there's always haters that will try to attack you at some point in time. And those people, you just need to push them to the side and ignore them because yeah. they're just a distraction. They're a little speed bump. And, and an individual like you, a speed bump shouldn't stop you. <laughs> I mean, you, like we said, you've had walls and just mountains. Yeah, there you go. You just roll them over. So, um, Krista, thank you so much. And uh, I really appreciate you sharing, like I said, opening up your story with us and, and sharing it with us because it's an amazing story. And, and I thank you, thank you, thank you for being on the show. Yeah. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Post Traumatic Survival Podcast. If you haven't done so already, make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you consume podcasts. This way you'll get updates as new episodes become available. If you feel so inclined, please leave us a review. And don't forget to tell your friends about the show. We appreciate you and them. Until next time, survivors. Awesome. Perfect. Let me just...